what I wanted to do today is put in perspective a very, very interesting outlook on where we stand in history right now. What we're trying to accomplish here is just trying to give ammunition and skills and inspiration to change the world. Nothing, nothing big or anything, but this, right? But, so it's important to understand where are we in the context of history to understand what, what is needed to be done or what could be done. So I'm going to bring, at this point, it's a very well-known uh, Zohar that is a, we'll call it prophetic because it really, really was prophetic. The Zohar itself is not a prophetic work but it did give a, let's call it a prediction in the Zohar. And we're talking about a tradition from 2,000 years ago. And it said, and it was based on the verse in Noah and the story of the, the flood. On the verse it says that Noah was 600 years old at the time of the flood. So based on that, the Zohar says, and we have to assume it's, it's prophecy, said in the 600th year of the 6th millennium which we'll identify according to our calendar the flood waters of above wisdom from above will burst open simultaneously there will be a uh, bursting of the lower waters of wisdom all in preparation for the seventh millennium and the coming of Mashiach. So this is a little bit of truth. Like, what is it talking about? So let's see if we can identify what year we're talking about in our Western calendar. 1840. 18, why? 55,000 were already in the sixth millennium. This is the sixth millennium now. The 600th year we're at 5767 would be 167 years ago but there's two opinions I want to say they're, they're not in contradiction to each other okay for example the year 5000 begins the 6th millennium when you have your 21st birthday you're actually beginning your 22nd year the same thing with the century when it says the 600th year question is, does that mean when you finish the 600th year? Right? Or, or, or the beginning, meaning from 500 to 600. So the period we're talking about is 740 to 840. So the lower wisdom would represent secular wisdom. And what would the upper waters represent? Religion. Yeah. Okay, so think in the world, 1740 to 1840. And again, give or take 50-60 years, so what happened in the physical world between 1740 and 1840? American Revolution. American Revolution, very important. French Revolution. What was happening in the physical plane? Freedom, emancipation, this is very important. It fits in. Actually, very practically, in the physical world, were there any changes? Yes, the Industrial Revolution. And it was a revolution. 5,000 years ago, if someone wanted to get from 
um, Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, he would probably get on either a horse, a donkey, maybe a carriage. That's it. 4,000 years ago, same thing. 3,000, 2,000, 1,000. In other words, in the physical world, things didn't change that much. But the Industrial Revolution, everything changed. Train, um, steamboats, cotton gin, tractors, printing press. That was a little bit before, but still. You know, the, wor- the world changed radically, radically. By 1840, we're talking about trains. Now that's like, that's, that was radical. 1850, you have the first pictures. You have pictures of, of the Civil War. You have the first photographs. And 50 years later, you get electricity. Oh, you, oh, the telegraph was even before. But you get electricity, airplane, cars. What's amazing is, is my grandmother was born in the 1890s. From her life to my mother's life was like unbelievable. When my grandmother was born, there was not electricity, and there were no cars. There were no. It's incredible. To to and now let's just go a hundred years later. Faxes, email, spaceships, um, airplanes. Like. TV, radio, I mean, like, the Zohar was right on. It said in the 600th year, the flood, it said it would flood the world. And what they say now is, at every 10 years, the amount of information available in the world doubles. Where it used to be maybe thousands of years would go by, and you, people would know a little bit more. Every 10 years now, the amount of gadgets and the amount of information and knowledge that we have doubles. The communications, you know, you see, you grew, I didn't grow up with that. So I, I kind of saw, I, when I was your age, there were no fax machines. There was no email and there was no telephones. Just like from my grandmother to my mother, from me to you is also absolutely revolutionary. Any guesses on the spiritual plane? What happened between 1740 and 1840? Spiritual world, what, what movement began in the spiritual world around this time? The Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov, is 1740. This is when he actually revealed himself. He was born in 1698 and he died in uh, 1760. He revealed himself at age 36. Pollution in, in, in Jewish history. It swept Europe. And what many people don't know is all of Hasidic thought is based on Kabbalah. And he basically took the Kabbalah, which had been handed down for literally thousands of years in secret. He, he didn't do it unilaterally. The, Baal, uh, the Shimon Bar Yochai began to open it up. Moshe de Leon, by printing the Zohar, opened it up more. 
he didn't print it actually it was before the printing press but he he started uh, distributing the manuscripts the Arizal and the generation in Sfat when you go to Sfat and you see all the Beit Knesset that, that's from 1550 that's from that, that era and, and the Kabbalah began to be taught a little bit more in preparation for the seventh millennium uh-huh. in other words it's a process you didn't, we didn't go from Kitty Hawk to landing on the moon overnight. Kitty Hawk from a flight of, what, three minutes or something to landing a person on the moon was like 50 years. That's it. That's, uh, that's, that's amazing. Okay, so why am I telling you all this? What does it have to do with leadership? It, it gives us a context of where we're standing in history. According, I don't know, on Pesach, everyone had the cup of Eliyahu. So the, you've heard of the Maharal? The Maharal, the golem of Prague? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was the one who made the golem of Prague in the 1500s. He began a custom of drinking from the cup of Eliyahu in order to fulfill the fifth expression of redemption. If you remember, the four cups of wine correspond to the four languages of redemption. I will, I will take you out from the burdens. I will save you. I will redeem you. I will take you to me to be a people. And the fifth one is, and I will bring you into the land. The sages had a disagreement whether we should have four cups or five cups. If bringing into the land was, was part of that process. It's a whole discussion in the Gemara. But so they decided that we'll drink four, but we'll pour a fifth. But usually people just let it sit there. The Maharal said, it's time to go back to Israel. And therefore, I'm going to start drinking from the fifth cup. So he began this custom. The Maharal saw, he saw something, something was about to change. Now he's sitting in Prague and he says it's time to start drinking the fifth cup it's something's about to change 1500s in that same period the Arizal is sitting in Svat transforming Jewish thought forever right in Israel and then the Baal Shem Tov begins to send his students he can't he try to come himself and he, he, he was actually he was kidnapped in Istanbul he made it to Istanbul fascinating story he made it to Istanbul and on the ship from Istanbul to Akko they were pirated he was hijacked he was almost killed and he made it back to Europe but then his students started coming and, the, and in fact tomorrow night is the yurt site of uh, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Vitebsk. Listen what he did. He was a student of the Baal Shem Tov. He came with 300 families and they made Aliyah in 1770. Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Vitebsk came with 300 families and they, and they settled in the four holy cities. So when the seconders started coming, there was already a, a, a big community in Tiberia, Svat, Hebron, and Yerushalayim. 
there was already coming. So when the Zohar says this 2,000 years ago that the, the, the wellsprings of, of spiritual wisdom and physical wisdom will open up in preparation for the seventh millennium the coming Meshach what it's telling us is all, <coughs> all of this technology there's a purpose to it the idea that the world is now what we call a uh, global village this is, this is an astounding idea astounding idea you go home and you go to your Yahoo News and if there was an earthquake God forbid five minutes ago in Japan you know about it already and if you and if you want to send money you just go online and you know and, and help us streaming there already you knows that the different world now Zohar said is being prepared for the seventh millennium all these changes including our sitting here in Eretz Yisrael now after 2,000 years it is not a coincidence that after 2,000 years any other people first of all wouldn't even exist anymore and if they existed they certainly wouldn't have any hope of returning to their ancient homeland and speaking their ancient language and and here we are 50 years ago we were living in tents here we were living in tents hundreds of thousands of people were living in tents here all of this is to try to give you a taste of where we are in history. We we're told in the Gomorrah that this period of history will last for 6,000 years and the 7,000 will be Mashiach. We're at 57, 67. We have 250 years to go, but you can see the changes that are happening. It's very, very awesome. So therefore, that's where we find ourselves today. And this has, a has had a tremendous effect in leadership. So it's going to have like, a lot of consequences in terms of like, what our actions and everything, because if it's just going to come regardless, so what's the point of even... Ah, okay. So this is a, a, a big discussion. It says in, the, in Isaiah, talking about the Messianic time, it says, in its time... I will quicken it. If you quicken it, how can it come in its time? If it comes in its time, how can you quicken it? So the Gemara says, if we merit, it will be quickened. If we don't merit, it will come in its time. Also, parallel to this, we have two paradigms of how Mashiach will come. One is he'll come riding on a donkey. He'll be poor and come riding on a donkey. The other one is he'll he'll like appear in the in the clouds of heaven. So the Gomorrah also like wait a minute what which one? I think you would. If we merit, he'll come like in the clouds, meaning miraculously. If we don't merit, he'll come schlepping in. <laughs> like on a donkey, as it were. So we're so so, so what's the difference? Is, there will be a messianic era. So what does it matter if we merit, we don't matter, it comes in its time? So we're told that that will affect actually the nature of the messianic era, at least in the beginning. We have a concept called Olam Azeh and Olam Abba. 
this world and the world to come. We're told they're not two separate realities. We're told that our world to come is a direct effect of what we do with our with this world. In other words, we create our own world to come. We create our own world to come. It's not on a silver platter this utopia. It's we create it. We we earn it actually. In the words of the Zohar, we we have to earn it. So as far, <coughs> as far as your question, so if it's coming anyways, because, and we've, we've touched on this already, because the Jewish people have an innate sensitivity to wanting to rectify the world and have a, have a inner sense of compassion for the world, we are driven to try to bring it as soon as possible. We're driven to bring this, this possible. It doesn't mean you have to start a political movement. It doesn't mean... Is that because of selfishness? Because they want to help, help themselves and be here? When no, actually, it says in the Gemara, a number of the sages said, it will come, but I don't want to see it. Meaning that if we don't merit, it, it, will, it will be a traumatic process. I mean, you can't you can't separate you can't separate the Holocaust from the birth of the state of Israel. It's just they're three years apart. You just you might want to try, but you can't. Now to explain why that is, that's a different story. But you can have twenty different opinions what the connection is, but you can't deny that there's a connection. And many many people see that 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 the Holocaust is is part of what's called the birth pangs of Mashiach. So that's where we are in history right now. As part of all of these changes in the world, there's no doubt that it has given birth to a leadership crisis everywhere. But you look at religions all over the world, you look at countries all over the world, you look at philosophies all over the world, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Judaism or there's just a crisis of leadership almost everywhere. What, what I'm trying to say is that all of these rapid changes has has uh, shaken the foundations of religions, governments. You had communism almost took over the world, and it's except for Cuba. North Korea, North Vietnam, and China doesn't exist anymore. And even in China, it's it's all capitalism there now, but it's just so-called the communist government. But in the hundred years, a, a movement almost took over the world. Now it, does, it practically doesn't exist. The, the foundations of our world are, are very shaken. Are very shaken. And I'm only bringing that up just so we understand where we are and why we need Jewish leadership so much. I'm concerned with the whole world but my first concern is the Jewish world. I really am concerned with the whole world. But in the context that we're talking about and truthfully the vision of Mashiach is a universal vision. It's not just for the Jewish people. It will be a spiritual revolution that will 
unified the world. That's our belief. In the in the Jewish world now, vis-a-vis the rest of the world, we are in a unique position that we virtually have never been in. Because almost our whole history, we have have either been fighting for our survival and existence, or everyone, in a sense, hated us. The world is different now. The world is different. It's like, they call it a marketplace of ideas. If someone in 300 years ago wanted to convert to Judaism from Christianity and it was found out the entire Jewish village could be, could be killed and the person wanted to convert his whole family you know, would be wiped out. And since you just, you just, if you did it, it had to be done in secret. had to be done in secret. It's a different world now. Different. You have someone, let's say, like Eli Wiesel, and many people calling him like the conscience of the world, that he can go out and represent the Jewish people, but in a universal way. 300 years ago, if Einstein came on the scene, there wouldn't be the opportunity to listen to him. He wouldn't have had the platform through just all of the secular um, sciences and arts and in politics, Jews have never been so out there. That's good, man. It is, yeah. It, no, well, it doesn't have to lead to assimilation, yeah, right? For example, here's an example: is Senator Lieberman. They actually won more votes than Bush. You know, we should have had a Jewish vice president. And I remember in the, the half of the campaign was like, why don't you drive on, on Saturday? And you, you really can't vote in the Congress? You know, they made a whole new way of voting so that he could vote on Shabbos without breaking any of the halachas. You're, you're right. It seems that it's assimilation, but we've gotten beyond it. That's the point. We've gotten beyond, it, it, it was that if Einstein was religious, it's not so clear that people would have listened to him either, right, even a hundred years ago. Right. Now you have scores of orthodox physicists and politicians and economics and art and you name it. You name it. You... You have um, Matis Yahoo running around the world, like, you know, nominated for the Emmy, and he can get up there how things are changing. And, and all of this is just to, so we know where we are. What are our possibilities? What are the opportunities for affecting the world? Someone wants to do something for the world now, it's like wide open. It's the same thing on, on campus. You have the ba- the assimilation is I don't, I don't have to tell you. It's like it's out of hand. The lack of interest of Jews on campus is also it's like it's heartbreaking. I, I don't know what else to say. It's heartbreaking. But there are places where it's starting to turn around. There are places where um, it can be changed. And like that's our mandate. My mandate's no different than yours, truthfully. 
I'm in the, in, the same, in the same position as you are, really. Is wanting to make a difference, having dreams and, and, and visions, and if I could have it my way. And then you have the reality of the world. But still, compared to a few hundred years ago, it's incredible what the opportunities are. I want to add just a few more, a few more points to this. Is if you could say that the two most important teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, one was that the soul is an actual part of God and that every person has a spark of Mashiach. This is one of his primary teachings. That every person has a spark of Mashiach. And the way I received it from my teacher, as far as right now, like, so what can we do to bring Mashiach? In the most, most truthful way, all we can do is develop our own potential, our own spark of Mashiach. And then everything follows from that. Because leadership, leadership that doesn't come from within a person. Now there's someone who wants to wants to become a politician because they want to have power so they'll learn skills of leadership by how to speak in public good how to fundraise that's the most important thing right now I think it's obscene but to run for president you need a minimum of a hundred million dollars you cannot do it for less you cannot do it for less than $100 million. The mayor of New York, spent 50, when he got elected, he spent $50 million on his campaign. $50 million. He was rich enough, he just took it from his own pocket. He didn't have to, <laughs> he didn't have to uh, make promises. To, I mean, he just took it from his own pocket. And you learn, you learn skills of leadership. They're important. Don't get me wrong. But from a Jewish point of view, Leadership is all comes from inside. Substance. Remember Moshe Rabbeinu, he couldn't speak. He had a stutter. And especially, I'll say especially in, in the Torah world, you have uh, rabbis that, that live in these little tiny apartments. <laughs> tiny apartments. They, they, they have no titles. And no titles, but they say one word and it reverberates to the Torah world, and people accept what they say. Their, their power is not com- coming; they're not imposing any power. The people come to them, asking them to be the leader. That's how it happens in the Torah world. No one runs for Rosh Yeshiva, right? No one runs to be the head of the yeshiva. No one runs be what's called a posek, a posek ador, the decider of law for the generation. If, if you merit it from a spiritual level, people will start coming to you, and usually the person will be like, no, there's other people. Like, I don't <laughs> and I know myself that I went, unbelievable. You know, they, a lot of these people tens of millions of dollars go through their fingertips every year. Tens of millions of dollars. 
these people get, come to them to distribute charity and to support schools and institutions and, and, and orphans and, and people want to get married and tens and they live right so you don't see this in the secular world we talked about there is there, it is such a temptation to be in a position of power and not use it for yourself it is an incredible temptation and people who fall to it you know it's easy to point your finger but it's like most people if they're in the same position would end up in the same way and it's it's not even that you plan to do it it's just insidious how I remember I said power corrupts absolute power absolutely corrupts or as Bob Dylan said money doesn't talk it swears mm-hmm. but then you, you go to these spiritual people they don't take anything for themselves so it's amazing it's absolutely it's a different paradigm it's really a different paradigm you could say it in the secular world here <coughs> the, the, the ones who the, the early Zionists you know they set up the kibbutzim and many of them died without a penny in their pocket. They gave their whole life to work the land here. And, and, they, and they rose, you know, when Ben-Gurion retired, he went back to his kibbutz. Right? That's how it used to be. It's not like that anymore. <laughs> it's not like that. But it, that's what it was. When you're done, you go back to your kibbutz. You serve the people. And you get your little, your little you know, bungalow. Right? And and you don't really have a penny to your name you know like whatever you need you get but you don't have anything to your name so it's it's a different paradigm so I want to bless all of us I have to believe that, that you're worthy it's not an ego thing but you're worthy to take a position of power in order to do something moral and ethical and needed in the world you have, to, you, have to, you have to believe I just learned this it says in the Gemara that a Talmud Chacham a, um, a Torah scholar has to have at least one eighth of one eighth of ego even someone on that level you have to have a little a little bit of what we call ego that you believe that you you can speak and other people will listen. Because if, if if you were truly humble, you'd say, "Who am I to say anything to anyone? Like, why should anyone listen to me?" So they said, "No, that, that's too much, right? Because then no one would accomplish anything. So you have to have one sixty-fourth, one eighth of one eighth of of ego, an ego in a, in a positive sense, in a positive sense." To be able to get up there, you're not doing it for, for the power of the moment. You're doing it because you're drawing from like the uh, circumcision is on the eighth day. We're drawing from a higher purpose. I believe that's that's where they got the one eighth or one eighth. Because you're right, they could have said one ninth or one seventh or one twenty second. Why did they pick one eighth and one eighth? I think that's what it is.